I love you too. And um, if you would, turn to John chapter 2. And, um, you know, he, he, the reason why he mentions that about the, the one time that somebody asked who was older is because, you know, those rare moments are so rare, you have to mark those, because that was like one time to the 487 times that people asked, oh, is that your dad? So, um, you know, he mentioned at the end of worship, quoting uh, the psalmist David, who said, uh, you know, I've been, been young and I've been old, never seen the righteous forsaken. And, and uh, so that's why he and I make such a good tag team. I'm young, he's old, and... Uh, but we've seen the faithfulness of God. So welcome back in the sanctuary, brother. Love you. Um, so um, thank you so much. Thank you so much uh, for honoring Elijah like that. And uh, I'd kind of had it in the back of my mind. Um, coming here going, man, I, we're here. My wife's not with us. She's not going to make a cake. So I, maybe I'll try to go buy a cake or something. Then you you grabbed me afterwards this morning. So thank you so much for honoring him like that. I just sent my wife the, the not one photo, one of the photos, and then the video clip. And so I know she's very thankful for that. So thank you, guys. And it is great to have Elijah with. Um, and uh, man, like Dave was talking about with worship, you look up at that. All five of those are great worship leaders. Like anybody could have got up there and just gone for it. So what a team. Thank you guys for all the people who have been leading worship this weekend. I don't know who's leading tomorrow, but thank you everybody. So um, uh, I wanted to um, I, just, I, just, I had a memory pop into my mind during worship and, um, and it's not the thing where I thought about saying earlier today. I told my son this. I said, you know, I forgot to mention this morning. I was going to share with everybody at the beginning of my first session this morning, that this weekend is the first time I've been out ministering since Meatloaf died. And he looked at me and he's like, why would you say that? I said, I don't know. It's just something I wanted to say. Anyways, um, but I, I yeah, um, my brothers had a lot of eight tracks when I was very little. And I, I remember staying home from school at like age eight, listening to their Meatloaf track. That is true, yeah, true memories, and um, precious, yes, everyone's like, thank you for sharing that. Okay, so here's the other memory that came back. Okay, this is the memory I was thinking. Dave touched on it in one of the sessions today, that how the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, or some virgin, say, Paul says, it's not a matter of word, but of power, and uh, we were ministering at a Teen Challenge in Chattanooga, Tennessee doing a spiritual office this week a few years back. And uh, afterwards, during ministry time, um, this young guy came to me and he said, uh, said, hey, can you pray for me? My knee's messed up. I don't remember what he did to it, but a lot of pain. I, he might have been limping. I don't remember the details. But he asked me to pray for his knee. And so um, I knelt down and I began to pray over his knee. And I don't always, just sometimes I randomly um, pray um, in Spanish when I'm in a non-Spanish-speaking context. I, half of it, I think, is just habit. So anyways, so I knelt down, and I began to pray over his knee. And uh, so I began to pray in Spanish, and I was like, say sana. So 
I begin declaring this phrase, se sana, for his knee, rodilla, to be healed. And, uh, and so he starts being obedient, saying, sana, sana, because I was saying, se sana. So if anyone speaks Spanish, you know, se is, the, is like to be, like be healed. But he thought I was saying, say this word. So he kept repeating it. It was a really awkward, goofy moment. Like he totally did not get that I was praying for. He thought I was telling him to repeat something out loud. And that's not what I was doing. I was praying in Spanish. Anyways, in spite of all that, God healed his knee. So my point is, you don't have to pray with a perfect formula. You don't have to uh, do everything right and get everything exact. And um, God will <laughs> do it anyways. Um, I love the diversity of testimonies of different ways that God will heal um, when it's um, different than perhaps how we think it ought to be done, um, different than what we necessarily expect. Um, how many know that we have a perfect God who can answer imperfect prayers? Like, when my kids were little babies or toddlers, when they would look up at me and go, I didn't go, you stupid child, I cannot understand what you're saying. Get it together and learn English, and then I'll give you what you want. I didn't do that. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Do you want this over here? You know, as a loving parent, you're trying to figure out exactly what they want, and you're, you know, you're helping them in the process learning the language, but they don't have to get it just right for you as a parent to respond with a loving heart. And so we have a perfect God who answers in perfect prayer. Um, so John chapter 2, I think those are probably most all the introductory remarks other than um, simply want to remind you, uh, I shared this this morning, I want to share it again tonight. These are the ground rules. Um, there is freedom in this place. Freedom. Um, we want to give freedom to the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Or at least I do. I assume the rest of you do or else you wouldn't be here on a... Is today Friday? On a Friday night. I assume you wouldn't be here otherwise. Okay? So there's freedom in this place. And if that freedom, um, if it, I'll just say this. I'm not speaking for this for Sunday morning. I'm just saying for this event. All right? You, you lead with your own protocol on Sunday morning. I, I don't want to, I'm not interfering with anything for Sunday morning. But there's freedom here. Okay? And there's freedom for you to receive right where you're at. Um, some of my favorite times in the Lord, some of my favorite services are when God comes down and he begins to touch people before anyone ever starts ministry time. And so you're free to receive from the Lord right where you're at. Also, at the same time, I also want to give you freedom to know that you don't have to feel anything. I don't think there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, thou must feel something. Okay, there's not a verse. But what we do is we do get to engage our heart before the Lord and we get to yield to Holy Spirit regardless of what we do or don't feel. Because God's presence, His Spirit, is bigger and greater and transcends our feelings. And I love sensing God's presence. I love that. But at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, whether I feel His presence or not, I know that I'm still the temple of the Holy Spirit. So tonight we're going to be talking somewhat about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the corporate sense and moving of the Spirit. But... <laughs> What I love about him is that he's omnipresent. And when it comes to the believer, no matter what environment you are in, there is, there is an environment on the inside of you. That you're the temple 
of the Holy Spirit, regardless of what's going on around you. And that's amazing. And that is the privilege that all of us get to have. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what our, our, our uh, theological persuasion is, what denomination or church we're a part of. If we're believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we carry him everywhere we go, regardless of what we feel. That's good news. So, um, so it's okay if you don't feel anything. But I do want to give you permission that if you do begin to sense the presence of the Lord, that you yield to him in that. You might go, well, what does that mean? What you... I don't know. That's between you and God. I'm not going to tell you what to do. The point is there's freedom, so you don't have to hype anything up. You don't have to manipulate anything. You just get to be you before the Father, whatever that looks like. There's freedom. And so if God moves upon your heart to sit in stillness in his peace-filled presence with just thinking about his love, then do that. If God moves you to write out a $500,000 check, obey God. Amen, Pastor? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that this church, they're glad to just host this, this event, That's, but he would be willing to accept that check, you know? So whatever it is, whatever that looks like, just yield to the Holy Spirit, whatever that looks like, seriously. Um, it doesn't have to um, be like somebody else or look like somebody else. Sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, and you get to yield to the Holy Spirit. And that can look a lot of different ways at different times. Um, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is, it's like if, if, I, if you were to invite me to your house and I'm your guest, if you want to, let me put it this way, it would only be right for me to um, follow your dictates as your guest, okay? So if you're like, you know what, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty wiped out. I, I want to I relax. I want to just go rest for a little while, and I'll catch you later. It would be wrong of me to try to create something else, try to do something else. If you're like, hey, let's go for a jog, that would be right for me to go, hey, let's do that. I'm your guest. I'm going to go with you. I want, if I'm going to honor somebody, I'm going to go with what they're wanting. And so that could be different things at different times. And you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? You just ask him and you yield to him and you go with what he's doing. And um, there's sweet moments of worship. There's joy-filled moments of worship. There's very holy moments of worship. In a sense, you could say different flavors of his presence. And I want to be sensitive. I want to develop enough of a sensitivity to the Lord to know how to respond to him in different settings. Amen? For whatever he's doing. So, um, so for those of you in this room who've heard me share this before, um, I would apologize other than I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to share. And uh, the other thing is you can do what Pastor Dave was talking about today. Uh, as he mentioned earlier today, listening to me speak some years ago, and he just totally tuned me out as the Lord was speaking to him. So, hey, go for that. If God's speaking to you, just ignore me and go with what God's speaking to you. Okay, John chapter 2, verse 1. 
On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and the master of the feast tasted the water. Now, now become, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. There is so much that, I, that we could highlight in this and don't have time for it all. But I just want to point out a few things as we look at this story. Number one is the entire chapter 2 of John, there's really only two stories in it. You got this, where Jesus turns water into wine, and then you have the second part, the second half of the chapter, is Jesus goes into the temple and kicks butt. I mean, turns tables over, but essentially he kicks butt, okay? He goes in, he knocks these, these tables over, and it's very controversial. He knocks all these tables over and deals with the money changers and and all that. And I'm reading this one day, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is so strange. This, this shocks my religious senses, because here you have two different settings. One, you have the temple, where people are making offerings before the Lord. It's a religious setting. And then you have a party, where people are drinking and celebrating. Jesus shows up at one of them and says, hey, you're running low on the party beverage? We'll make some more. And he shows up at the other one and says, hey, guys, enough, and turns tables over. Now, I would think in my religious mind, he would show up at the party where they're drinking, and he would say, all right, enough of that, and flip tables over. And he would show up at the temple where they're making offerings, and he would say, okay, let me help make more of that. That's not what he does. He shows up at the party and he's like, hey, it's slowing down. We're just, we're, gonna, we're just getting started. I'm going to make it go further. And then he shows up at the, the temple, and he kicks butt. Now I would propose to you, when you read the Bible, if you never see things that shock you, you're not reading it enough or you're not reading it right. Now you're not reading it honestly. And that really struck me. And I want you to know this is not a pro-drinking message, okay? It is pro-Holy Spirit, but it's not a pro-alcohol message. Um, so let's start at the beginning here. Verse 2, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. Third day, there's a wedding. Jesus chose for some reason to do his first miracle that we have recorded in Scripture at a wedding. And there's no better way for Jesus, who's going to kick off, inaugurate this thing called the New Covenant, than to do it at a place where they're celebrating the covenant of marriage. It says, Jesus was also invited to the wedding. 
here's an amazing example that we have in Scripture of us inviting Jesus into our wedding, into our marriage, into our family, into our home. Jesus is pro-marriage. Jesus, God is the one who initiated marriage. He's the one who established this. He's really into marriage, and he's really into celebrating and celebrating covenant. Okay, so this is the context that he does this in. Verse 2, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My, not, my hour has not yet come. I tried that once with my mom when I was living at home. And she's like, Christopher, time to take the garbage out. I said, what does this have to do with me? It didn't turn out well. The, the garbage didn't miraculously turn into something better or anything. And it just didn't go well. Um, she, she even said, hey, they're going to be here early in the morning to pick it up. You need to take it out. It's getting late. And I said, my hour has not yet come. And... She disagreed with me. It did come. And uh, so this is one of those passages where like, don't try this at home. Okay. This is something very unique between Jesus, the son of God and Mary, his, his mother. Okay. So don't try it at home. Um, nonetheless, she does, even though he, he, he rebuffs what she's trying to initiate. Nonetheless, this is how she wisely responds. She doesn't get in an argument with him. She just says, okay, fine. That's fine. I planted the seed, you do with it as you want, but I'm going to tell the servants, hey, you do whatever he says. Now, that's wise counsel. Do whatever Jesus says. Again, when we're talking about responding and yielding to the Holy Spirit, this is good counsel. Do whatever Jesus says. Because what he might tell you is something different than what he'll tell somebody else. And one of the problems that we get into the body of Christ is when we start comparing ourselves to one another. Well, why are they doing that? And well, God didn't lead me to do that. Well, that's fine because maybe he led you to do that. And that's okay that he didn't lead them. And just because he's leading you and not leading them doesn't mean that you're right and they're wrong or they're wrong and you're right. And it doesn't mean that. It just means that sons of God get to be led by the Spirit of God. And one of the beautiful things about that is we can celebrate the unique ways in which God leads different ones of us in different expressions of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't have to look like everybody else. And I think that one of the things that God wants to establish in us as the body of Christ is an appreciation, a mutual honoring and appreciation of one another that how we express the kingdom doesn't have to look like somebody else. At the very least, if we have a problem with somebody else's expression of the kingdom, because you might be thinking, eh, maybe some of that's kingdom, but some of that I'm not so sure about. Okay, that might be legitimate. But at the very least, to not have a, an attitude of judgment. To not have a critical heart. Love well. Develop relationships. And if you have earned the right, if you, if you have enough relational equity to speak into somebody's life, then you can speak into their life. But I don't think that God's intention when he allowed technology to be developed is just so that someday God could have Facebook and Instagram so we could all vent all of our opinions and criticize one another. I think he's got much bigger, better purposes than that. Okay? Not saying throw your discernment out. Keep your discernment on. Have spiritual discernment, but man, let's walk in love. Let's bless and honor and encourage one another. And thank God. One of the things I love about this is the diversity that's in the room. I don't know everybody here, but I know some of you. And I love the fact, as Pastor Dave pointed out, different people from different churches. But one body, one body advancing one kingdom. 
Amen? Okay, so she wisely tells him, hey, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. So this is interesting. Again, Jesus' first miracle. Now, when you think about the miracles that Jesus does, I say does because he still does them, but as what was recorded in Scripture, it's interesting that his first miracle was not the raising of the dead. Like, boy, if you're going to get it started off, might as well, like, go for it real big. Go big or go home. Raise somebody from the dead. But that's not what he did. Matter of fact, it wasn't even a deaf ear that was open. It wasn't a blind eye that was open. He, he shows up at a wedding where they ran out of wine. Like, I personally don't think that's a crisis. Anybody here going, oh, man, I just feel so terrible for them. Now, that's what I tend to think, okay? I'm like, man, they've been partying for days, and finally they ran out of wine. It's not like a huge, no one's dying here, okay? But at the same time, in that culture, I, my limited understanding of this is that, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing uh, for these people to host this and to run out of wine. And so... Jesus steps in, and this is the context in which he does that, but specifically going, okay, hey, there's these uh, water jars there for Jewish rites of purification. So Jesus is about to establish the new covenant here, okay? And the Jewish rites of purification, he's taking something that could wash people externally, and he's saying, I'm about to wash you from the inside out. That under the law... The law was just temporary, and they had their rules and regulations, and they could only externally be washed. But he said, I'm going to wash you from the inside out. The new covenant is not just going to get you by for another year and just cover your sins. I'm going to make you clean from the inside out. So I, however you want to look at it, I, I don't believe it's by accident by any means that the first miracle that he does, it has to do with changing what's inside these um, stone jars that were there for purification. But here's the other thing. When you jump down in the later on in the passage and Jesus goes to the temple and he deals with them offering uh, their, their offerings before the Lord, he turns that on its head as well. Again, it's what they were offering to the Lord, their temple sacrifices, and he was dealing with that whole system of going, I'm turning this on its head. You will no longer be dependent on rules and rituals. I am the sacrifice. And so all of it came with, even though there are two different settings, one's a temple and one's a wedding, all of it has to do with the whole purification uh, process, the whole temple sacrificial process, and he's coming to do away with all of that and establish the new covenant where we are made clean from the inside out by one sacrifice, Jesus himself. Follow what I'm saying? So this is the context. Now, um, and this is what struck me. Reading this a few years ago. I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, now there were six stone water jars there were for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And I'm reading this and I'm like, I'm not great with math, but I paused and I'm like, man, let me break this down. Because I'm, I'm you know, familiar with this story for years. And I break it down and I'm like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but if I do my math correctly, six stone water jars each holding 20 to 30, if that's the case, we're talking potentially 180 gallons of, wa of, of water these things held. 180. 
That's a lot. Again, I'm not left feeling sorry for the people. They've been partying for days. Hello. They've been partying for days. And suddenly, they run out. And you got a, about 100 and th these big old jars with 180 gallons of water that they held. That's a lot. And then it says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Like the story is making it very specific going, and they didn't just put a little bit in, but they filled it to the very top. You could not fit anything else in it. Again, I would propose that perhaps this could symbolize the fact that Jesus is not going to accept any mixture. It's not a mixture of law and grace. It's not a little bit of the grace of God, and then there's my own striving, my own effort, my own ability, my own. No, it's the, it's the grace of God. It's the new covenant from beginning to end. It's a brand new covenant. There's no, no room for anything else left. So it fills it to the top, fills it to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves good wine first. Okay. So how many understand that if I had just a little thimble, let's say if Jesus had just a thimble full of water and stood there and said, hallelujah, I don't know, it's obviously not abracadabra because it's not magic, but if we, just, we, don't, we don't know all that he might have said or done or how he did it, but he just said, fill it up. But if he were to take that a thimble of water and go, be transformed, and boof, suddenly that little thimble of water, just a little drop of water would suddenly transform into wine. How many understand that that would be a miracle? That's a miracle. That's that that. It's not less of a miracle just because it's a smaller quantity. It is a miracle. And there'd be every right to rejoice and go, oh my goodness, who is this man that we invited to our wedding who changed water into wine? But it wasn't just one drop. It was, he made it into 180 gallons of wine. Anybody here think that might be a little excessive? I mean, seriously, like whether you're, whether you, whether, whether your personal conviction allows you to say, oh, a little bit of wine's okay, just don't get drunk, Bible forbids drunkenness. No matter where you stand on that, don't you think 180 80 gallons is excessive? I mean, really, who, who needs that? Especially after they've been partying all week. That's excessive. And Jesus, for some reason, for his first miracle, doesn't open blind eyes, doesn't open deaf ears, doesn't raise the dead. No! He takes a party that's dying down, and he's going to resurrect it. That's what he does. He takes 180 gallons of water and turns it into 180 gallons of wine. I think that's excessive. I also think that's our God. I don't know if you know this, but we have an excessive God. He's extravagant in what he does. Now, the reality is I'm grateful for any, the slightest drop of blessing that comes my way. I'm grateful for any, like, like I said earlier, any day not in hell is a good day. Like, I can't lose. 
Okay, we sang earlier, you'll never let me down. Well, here's the fact. I, fe- I have felt let down by God before until I repented. And when I say repented, I mean, oh, God, please forgive me. It can include that. But what I mean is repented where, metanoia, where I change my mind and suddenly I now see it from God's perspective and go, whew. Anybody ever have a job offer or maybe somebody you were dating, like no one in this room, but someone far away from another time and another place? And you were so devastated you didn't, that it didn't work out. And you look back now going, oh, thank God. Whew. All right, don't, don't, don't look around too much. Just, but just be honest before yourself and God and me. But, but you're like, oh, you were devastated at the moment. It's like, man, I was let down. But now you look back and you're like, oh, thank God. He had mercy on me. Save me from that. Okay. I have felt let down by God, but as I look back on it, man, he works everything together. And so there are even areas in my life right now that I'm not crazy about, that I want to see change. And I believe God wants to bring breakthrough and bring change. But I know this, is that in the middle of the process, God is working everything together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. He's not just good, he's excessively good. So, I want to just share a little bit. We'll, we'll jump back into a couple of verses here, but I just wanted to share a little bit um, about my journey with the Holy Spirit. And there's different ways to look at this story that we just read out of, out of John chapter 2. Um, obviously, we looked at it in the context of what it means between going transitioning from um, the old covenant and their ritual purification, their sacrifices into new covenant because of what Jesus provides. And I'm just looking at this passage for me, and there's different ways to look at it, but I'm just looking at Jesus turning water into wine as the Holy Spirit. One of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is wine. There's different symbolism for the Holy Spirit. One of them is wine. And um, I mentioned earlier today, thankful for my Pentecostal heritage, thankful uh, for... uh, just the, the privilege of being raised in the environment that I was in around the things of God. And not just Sunday school stories, as good as that is, and we need the, the, the foundation of the Word of God. But specifically, as Dave mentioned earlier, that when I was six years old, I encountered the Lord and was baptized in the Holy Spirit in a very um, profound way. Um, essentially, my mom asked me if I wanted to go forward one night at our little church to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I thought, I don't know what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, but if it's from God, it must be good, so I'll take it. That was as deep as my theology went. I don't think it's changed. I hope it hasn't gotten too much more complicated than that from the time I was little, but that was my thought process, and I think it's pretty good. So I thought, I don't know what it is, but I'll go take it. And so I come up front, and I, I begin to pray, and my mom says, just tell Jesus how much you love him. How many know that that is not a formula for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? But how many know if God's leading a mama to say that to her child in that moment, that's the right thing to do? And that's what she said. And so I just begin to lift my hands. I begin to just weep and tell Jesus how much I love him. And when I say that, it's not as if I felt like my life was marked by this deep passion for the Lord at age six. It's just for some reason, as I did that, I found myself weeping as I just poured out my heart to the Lord. And, and um, 
I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Eventually, um, this other language began to come out of my mouth. And a few minutes later, I stood up. Everybody else was gone from church. The only people that were left were my, was my family. And I realized like two hours had gone by. I thought it was just a few minutes. And so the Lord really marked my life. That is the good news. Um, what happened years later, though, is uh, as a young man getting more into the word and reading other books is I got a little more skeptical of Holy Ghost stuff. Now, you never want to be skeptical of the Holy Spirit. The question is, what is it the Holy Spirit and what isn't? So I got skeptical of claims of the Holy Spirit doing things. And so even though I spoke in tongues, I would hear rumors of different things God was doing in different places. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And I would go places and I would, you know, hear, see wild stuff maybe on some TV evangelist show. And I would go to different places and um, they said God was moving and God was touching people. And I just wasn't sure. And, and, of course, this was during the time where there was more and more scandals of big-name ministers. And I started reading more and more material, um, some good books, but some, some material by some wonderful ministers of the Word who were totally against the outpouring of the Spirit, didn't believe that the gifts of the Spirit were for today. And so I became pretty reserved when it came to anything Pentecostal, anything of the moving of the Spirit. And, um, yeah, I, pr I had my guard up a lot of ways. So then come the 1990s where all of a sudden these rumors started going around of a move of God. Well, if it's a move of God, then I want in, right? Who doesn't want in on a move of God? It's like, if it's a move of God, I want in. But, yeah, I'm not sure when you describe it that way. So, what I started hearing was, is that people were supposedly being so overcome by the presence of God, they're not just falling over, though I heard about that happening, I, yeah, I'd never experienced it, but people falling over, and they would be laying on the ground, and get this, while they were down there, they were laughing. Like, wait, wait, wait a second, like, I'm in full-time ministry, I love Jesus, I work with people coming out of addictions. We worked with drug addicts and alcoholics wanting to see them set free and grow in the Lord. Like this laying on the floor laughing. Come on. This can't be God. This is ridiculous. I thought, ah, this just, I don't know, that just seems too weird. Well, then begin to hear of God moving more in other places and begin to hear about a place down in Florida where God poured out his spirit where it wasn't like what I heard up in Canada where people were playing really casual music and casually dressed in jeans and church and like laying on the floor laughing. No, this place was at a Pentecostal church where they, by golly, they wore suits and ties like you're supposed to. And they preached holiness and they preached repentance. Okay? So I'm like, okay, now that I understand. That's good. This is good. Suits and ties, holiness, and repentance. This is good. I can go for that. So, but in all seriousness, though, I heard the fruit of what was happening about all these people getting saved. I'm like, this is amazing, okay? Because really, when it's all said and done, who cares about the packaging? It's about the fruit. What is God doing? If it's God, I want in. 
okay? And I'll, I'll, I ha- might have my preferences for the packaging, but I'll eventually learn to get over it. So I'm like, I'm like, that is incredible fruit, so I want to get there. So, man, I saved up my money, and I took vacation time, and I flew to Florida. I stood in line, and I waited in line for hours and hours and hours, and I finally get in this, in this service. And so there were people, there were like news agencies from all over the globe, literally there, okay? Newsweek 2020, uh, you, would, you would be there, and they're interviewing people in different languages. There's people from all over the planet, all kinds of news outlets. Are there. It was crazy. And you hear testimony after testimony of changed life, of people encountering the presence and power of God. And the testimonies were amazing. I could sense God's presence in there. And so you'd have all these stories of people getting touched by God. And I'm like, that is awesome. And so I'd wait. And not only did I wait in line for hours to get into the service, then you'd wait in line for a long time to get prayed for. And you'd chase the evangelist around the room finally to get prayed for. And Bodies are strewn about everywhere, and they're on the floor, and they're caught up in glory. And this is what would happen to me. My left hand would tremble slightly. I'm like, vacation time, plane ticket, hotel room, basically all my savings. Wait in line for hours, and all I get is a tremble in my left hand. Seriously, that's it? Okay, God, I thought maybe there'd be more, but that's okay. You're here, and you're really good. And the fact that you would touch me in any way is amazing. So I don't really understand what's happening to everybody else, but I love their testimonies, what they say. I don't get it. Some of it looks pretty weird, but I know the preaching's really powerful. And I don't know why, all the only thing that happens to me is my left hand shakes a little bit. Like if somebody would have said, hey, you want to like empty out your bank account and travel all the way to Florida so your hand can shake a little bit? I'm like, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll pass. But I'm like, okay, I can't make something happen. But I'll take what you have, whatever you give me. And I remember, I remember after I got back, I was talking to another minister um, in our area who was really excited because he was going to go down to that revival. And he was talking, man, I'm really nervous, and I don't know what God's going to do. And I'm like, you know what? Bottom line is this. And, and God, I realized later how God, the words I was speaking to him were really good for me. And I basically was like this. You know what? No matter what you do or don't experience in that meeting, God is good and he's faithful. And you will reap what you sow. So if you are hungry, God's going to meet you no matter what you feel or don't feel in that meeting. So don't hitch your entire walk with God to that meeting because God's much bigger than that. Like in the moment, hunger and thirst for him. Yes, God, we're having these meetings. God, you're going to pour out. You're going to encounter us. Hallelujah. And you go for it. But when the meeting's done, you go, you know what? God's so much bigger than that meeting. Like in the moment, focus on the now. Hallelujah. Woo, I'm going to go after God. But when the meeting's over, we serve a really big transcendent God who's bigger than any meetings. And I just told him, I said, look, God sees your spiritual hunger, and you cannot invest your time and your money and your effort to travel all the way there, stand in line, and pursue God, and God not meet you. I don't know what it's going to look like or what you'll feel or experience in the meeting. I just know God is really good, and you're going to reap what you sow. 
And God brought those words back to me later on. And so I would go back, and I went back multiple times, I don't know, a handful of times um, in the late 90s, going there and loving the environment. But here, here's, here's the challenge for me, is I heard all these stories. Man, this was all over. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Back in the 90s, people would go to these revival meetings, and then their testimony was, and when I went back to my home church, and the Spirit of God fell, and we've been in a move of God ever since now for the last eight months. My experience was, and I went back home, and I'm like, wow, I'm back home in Iowa. Really miss those meetings. I guess I got to save up money again to get back to the meeting. So I would watch the video and watch the videos, and I'd listen to the worship music and kind of get a little bit of that. and like, oh, that's great, but I got to wait to get back to the meeting. How many of you know God has bigger plans than that? Like, there was a hunger that God loved and that he honored. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not experiencing what everybody else is. Because when their testimonies, they came back, and that same glory that was in that church suddenly showed up in their life, in their home, in their, in their Sunday morning meeting. But that wasn't happening in my context. And so I did that for quite a while. And finally, a, a, a friend of mine invited me to the revival in Canada that years earlier I was so skeptical about. And I thought, man, the revival in Florida was amazing. All these people getting saved. And that's kind of died down. And now I'm going to go to this place in Canada that I was, like, pretty skeptical about. But I guess I'll go. And I went up there, and um, they were just kind of at the tail end of their nightly meetings. And they were much smaller then. There were only, like, 500 people there. Because <laughs> a lot of times they could fit, like, I don't know, several thousand. And, uh, and God touched me, not in a dramatic way, but it was beautiful. And it was precious. It wasn't anything demonstrative or anything overwhelming, but it was precious, and God spoke to me there. So I told my wife, I said, I don't want to go back to one of their conferences sometimes. So um, this fall, it'll be 20 years ago that I went um, to a conference up there at that church in Canada. Just before I went there, about a month and a half before, I had an encounter with the Lord in my living room where God rocked my world. I won't get into the details of that. But that really set me up all of a sudden. Now when I went to this, back to this meeting up in Canada, where God met me in a powerful way. And I would say this, is that I learned how to receive from him at that meeting because of what he personally did in my heart in my own living room. This is the same environment, same move of the Spirit, same presence of God, same glorious power coming down in a meeting, but suddenly I'm connected to it now. Because he did something in my heart where he just lavished me with his love. And I understand that it's by grace. What I couldn't hunger myself into, I could just yield to his grace. Because hunger will only get you so far. Hunger is really good, but it only get you so far. It's all by grace through faith. And so... In this time period, the Lord just began to deal with my heart and began to deal with me. And so fast forward several months later, I was, I was at a meeting in Kansas City. And God had been doing just a lot of great stuff in my heart. It was great. And I'm in a meeting in Kansas City. And this was kind of my mindset at the time. Because like I said, I had, like when I went to Florida, it's fiery preaching on repentance. And I would see people on the floor, like sinners weeping, crying, repenting, repenting for sins, getting baptized. It's awesome. 
But also at the same time, I would see some people on the floor laughing. And I thought, well, that's weird. It's kind of an odd response to a message on repentance. Unless you understand that once you've repented and you get free, that feels really good. But I would watch these people. And so I started thinking, I went from, that can't be God, to, well, I guess, I guess some of those people, I mean, because I know God's presence is here. It's amazing. I mean, they're wearing suits and ties. They're quoting Leonard Ravenhill. So it's got to be good. Okay? It's got to be good. So I'm like, they're laughing on the floor. Like, okay, I think that is God for them. They must be like really immature believers, but that, I mean, that's okay. That's where they're at. They're like, they're like baby Christians. Like I remember, you know, when my kids were babies, I'd be like, Gucci, Gucci, go. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would do that with my kids. So I kind of thought, well, that must be God kind of, you know, to his little baby Christians going, Gucci, Gucci, go. Because that's what they need. Now, not me, of course, because... I want to be a holy man of God. I want to be a fiery intercessor, passionate for the outpouring of the Spirit in the nations, living in radical holiness. But, but that's fine for them. I mean, that's, that's fine. They, they can do that. I'm sure someday they'll grow up and they won't need that. So, so that, that was kind of the mentality that I embraced. So now, fast forward. I'm in Kansas City, and this was not, this event was, this conference was not at a, uh, a church or a ministry. This was at a public arena, basically. And this is, uh, matter of fact, yeah, 19 years ago, this month. And, um, and so the first night, I was there for like two nights, the first night, this young fiery evangelist gets up, preaches like a house on fire, a bunch of words and knowledge, people get healed. And there's, I don't know, a few thousand people. I'm sitting in the middle of it. And he says, hey, uh, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do ministry time tonight um, when he was done. He said, because I, I have to get back to the hotel room. And tomorrow I'm going to minister one last session before I fly out to Africa for a, uh, a crusade. He said, but if you want prayer, he said, I'm just going to pray a general prayer over this place. And when I do, um, when I'm done, if you want to receive more prayer, you can come up front. There will be a ministry team. So he prays a general prayer. Now I'm standing in the middle of like, I don't know, three, 4,000 people in this place. And as I'm standing there and he closes out in prayer, I feel just a little bit of the Holy Spirit, just like a drop falling on me. It wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't, I wasn't caught up in glory, but I just felt a little drop. Again, none of us have done anything to earn a drop of God's presence. It's all grace. And if the God of the universe even gives me a drop, wow, that's awesome. What a privilege to experience his presence. And so this is part of what I'm talking about, yielding to the Holy Spirit, is I felt in that moment, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I feel just a little bit of his presence. I think I need to go forward. The problem was when he was done, everybody wanted to leave because the man of God on the platform was leaving. Nobody wanted to stick around for prayer from a group of nobodies. That was the mindset in the people. I'm not saying they were. I'm saying that's the mindset of people, okay? Like, ah, some, who knows who's on the ministry team? The man of God from the platform left, so I guess God left too, so we're done. We're going to go out to eat. Let's go to Denny's. So, but 
so I'm trying to make my way up front to the front of the crowd, but it's kind of hard because everyone's leaving. So I'm working my way through the crowd. Finally, I get up front, and I mean, like I said, a crowd of three, 4,000 people, and there's, I don't know, maybe 10 of us up front at the most, maybe only five of us up front for prayer. So I go up front for prayer, and I'm standing there just trying to yield my heart to the Lord. And I think somebody came by, and they prayed for me, and, and I start doing what I would normally do, what I did as a Jesus-loving, sincere-hearted Pentecostal that I was. Oh, God! <laughs> now, it was not that I was insincere. I mean, that, that's a, that, how many understand tears can be a sincere reaction before the Lord? Sometimes it's very appropriate. Oh, God! Oh, God! <laughs> I eventually went down to my knees. Oh, God! <laughs> I don't know what I was saying, but... But anyways, it was just, oh, God! And... There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, if that's the only way you know how to respond to God. But out of a sincere heart, I was responding in the only way that I knew. Oh, God, oh, God. Again, sincere. And so I'm down on my knees in the presence of God, and I start to get up. But I didn't get all the way to stand up. I was just in a squatting position, awkwardly enough. It was awkward. I'm not going to try to do it. I'm not going to try to reenact it because it was, it was awkward enough then, almost 20 years ago, even more so now. So I'm in this squatting position. And, and along comes somebody from the ministry team. To this day, I have no idea who it was. Just some dude who came up and he walked by while I'm squatting. And he puts his hand on my side of my head and he says, drink. Just drink him in. Now you can pause right there and go, drink? Deity? Is God a liquid? How do you drink God? Like, that, that might sound like a nice charismatic phrase, but how do you drink God? He's not, I mean, he's not a liquid, right? I mean, I, how do you drink deity? He says, just drink him in. And all I know is next thing I know, I go from squatting position, I fell back. Well, thankfully, I wasn't standing up. There was no catchers or anything like that. So it was, you know, short way to the ground when you're only in a squatting position. So boom, fell back. And I'm laying there, and it did not have, you know, it's really cold out, right? It's really cold out right now here in the Midwest in February. But we were in this nice place, and you got this nice carpeting. Well, in this place, it was, again, it was a civic arena it was a cement floor. It was very, very cold, okay? That wasn't so bad except for the fact that I don't know all that was going around me except that I do remember my head was up against some lady's high heel. That was awkward. I mean, for all I know, she could be somewhere telling this story. You know, I was at a service one time, and this guy had his bald head next to my, head, my high heel, and it was so awkward. I don't know, but... This is my story. So my head was up against her high heel on this really cold cement floor. Really awkward. And the Lord, as I'm laying there in his presence, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Christopher, do you know why you still struggle with certain temptations? He said, because you've never tasted of the real pleasure that I have available for you. 
And he told me, then he said this. He said, he asked me twice. He said, are you ready to experience it? Are you ready to experience the real pleasure that I have? Not the false pleasure of the world. Are you ready to experience the true pleasure that I have available for you? I don't understand it, but I love God. He's really good. He did not let me answer. I guess he just knew I was ready, whether I thought I was ready or not. And all of a sudden, something, I can't explain it other than something erupted from my belly. And I just began to laugh and to laugh and to laugh. Now, this is a spiritual, emotional, theological conundrum. Because one of a couple things, either now I'm fake and I'm doing this false manifestation, which is not good, or maybe I'm one of those really immature people that I used to judge, and I really am a baby. Now I'm the one who needs the Gucci Gucci goo, and I'm literally thinking, oh my gosh, I'm now doing the very thing that I've judged. And isn't it amazing how God's created us? You can, you can simultaneously have an encounter with the, with the presence of God, and your mind can be thinking, what in the heck is going on? Why am I doing this? And simultaneously, I'm laughing externally, because it was amazing, incredible joy. I'm laughing externally, but inside, I'm repenting for judging people who've done the same thing. I thought only women were capable of that much all at once. But even us men, God, made, God has made us complex of all these different things going on at once. And I was so ingrained in this thought. And I, and I tell you, I believe God honors our value for his word. When we have an honor for the word of God, he will honor that. And so literally, I'm laying on this cold cement floor with my head up against some gal's high heel, and I'm laughing hysterically. Now, mind you, mind you, again, the context is nobody else is doing this. Okay? <laughs> In a meeting, three, four thousand people. There's no worship music going on. No one's I'm the lone guy on the floor <laughs> laughing my head off. And I know it. I know I'm the only one. So I'm just laughing. But even while I'm doing this externally, while I'm laughing, and I'm telling you, it was amazing. I'm, la I'm literally going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I said, God, where is this in Scripture? And immediately, from the King James, uh, Psalm 16, boom, immediately, as soon as I asked it, in my presence, in his presence is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures evermore. At, in, his in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures. It's not just a little tickle or a little dabble, do you? Literally, the presence of God coming. Look, there's different flavors, if you will, and uh, the different types of God's presence. Sometimes he comes with his holiness. And the right response is to get on our face and get low before the Lord. And when times he just comes with his peace and we just receive his peace. But when he comes with joy, if he comes with that flavor, we need to just respond to what he's doing. And immediately he spoke that verse to me, and I was just overwhelmed. 
eventually, this is what happened. All right, got to clean up. Lights are going off. People got to leave. The janitor starts walking by. All right, got to get up, got to leave. And so I was there with my oldest brother, John, and another brother of our, uh, brother from the church, Steve. These are the guys I was with. And they come to me and they're like, hey, can you get up? Do you think you can make it? And I'm like, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think so. Just help me up. Because it was heavy. And if you've experienced that, you know, one of the terms for glory out of the Old Testament, kabod, the Hebrew term, means weightiness. Okay? So there's this, this weighty presence on me. And so they helped me stand up. And, and I, so I walked to leave this. I did walk, but, man, I was just like walking really slow. So we get outside, and we're in downtown Kansas City, and we got to go across the street, all this traffic, because you're right in downtown, to where the um, parking lot is. And so I'm standing there, and I'm watching the cars go, zoom, zoom, zoom. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, when this says you can walk now, I know I can walk, but I don't think I can walk fast enough before it changes back to don't walk, and someone's going to hit me. And then this next thought came to me, I don't really care. This feels so good. I don't really care. I just, I just love everybody. This feels amazing. You can run me over and I'll just give you a hug while I'm dying. And Wow, I don't really care. Now, I mentioned earlier, our family has a history of drinking, a lot of alcoholism. I've never touched the stuff. But I remember that night going, I think this is kind of what people talk about. I'm getting flashes of Otis in my mind, you know? I'm like, wow. I just, I'm like, wow. This is amazing. And I remember, oh, yeah. So that's what happened. So my brother John realizes the problem, the dilemma I'm in. He picks me up, throws me over his shoulder, and carries me across the street into the parking lot and dumps me in the van. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to sleep good tonight. This is just amazing. I, I love everybody. And if that is the only thing that had happened to me, I wouldn't be here 19 years later telling you about it. But I remember I came home. I remember I came home in the presence of God. Just began to come to our living room. I'd be typing at my computer in my office without even... Realizing it, the weight of God had just begun to fall on me. I would go to the keyboard for just a moment and start to play something. The presence of God had just, just rained out. You see, I thought the wine of the Spirit was too excessive. All this, all these manifestations and all the laughing and all this stuff. I'm like, that's too much. 180 gallons of wine. Who needs that? That's crazy. But see, God gave me. God didn't give me what I wanted. He gave me what I needed. And in the end, I found out that what I needed was really what I wanted all along. I just didn't know it. And it's not just with that. That principle goes to so many things in our life. And I was so skeptical 
And again, I'm not saying throw out your discernment, but I was so, I'd, I'd locked God into a theological box of how he could move and how he couldn't. And, and, and I had enough of Pentecost that I still prayed in, and I would speak in tongues, but that was about it. And I was skeptical of anything else. And suddenly God just began to show up in my home. My wife and I were overwhelmed by God's presence. And I remember showing up at church and God beginning to move in such a mighty way. And if Dave and I have talked about it, it's like God began to move in my own home before he began to manifest himself that way at our church. And as I look back on these last 19 years, there's so many different times that I, I don't fully understand it. But I will tell you this. Prior to that, I wanted to see God move in power. I wanted to see signs, wonders, miracles, deliverance. I wanted to see people set free. I wanted to see healings. I just never saw it. And then I had this encounter with the love of God that set me up to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a way that I was initially uncomfortable with. And so since then, I've been in so many meetings where God comes in with the wine of his spirit, the controversial wine of his spirit. Like as a good Pentecostal, I'm like, yeah, the fire. Send the fire, the fire of Pentecost. Hallelujah, bless God. But don't be weird and laugh or anything. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, Pentecostal, hallelujah. And so... I'm used to that, but suddenly this laughter thing, I'm like, what's up with that? And I've got into meetings where the, the intoxicating wine of his love, because it's not just a tickle me Elmo. It's the extravagant wine of his love being poured out where he washes over you and the lies that you believe begin to be washed away. And you're so convinced of his love for you. And I've been in meetings. Let me conclude with this story. Second time, Pastor Dave and I went to minister in the city of Medellin, Colombia, about 10 years ago, roughly. Um, I was invited to speak at the presbyter for the Assemblies of God, his church, that Sunday morning after we were doing these conferences. And I spoke that Sunday morning. They had two Sunday morning services. And the first Sunday morning, I get there for the first service, and I wasn't sure what to speak on, and so I just taught on forgiveness. How many know that forgiveness is really important? And we need to give mercy as we've received mercy. And so I taught on that, invited people to pray to forgive people who have uh, hurt them or wounded them, and it, and it was good. It wasn't anything amazing, but if you just teach the word and people respond to the word, and anytime someone chooses to forgive, that's a win. So it was good. And so they sent me to the green room between the services uh, to just kind of rest for a few moments before the next service. And this was my conversation with God. God, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. We have an intense schedule, and it's about to get even worse. And so, Lord, I'm exhausted. Man, honestly, this is a privilege being here, but i got to be honest, I'd rather be in bed right now because I'm just exhausted. And I said, what do I do for this next service? I don't know what to speak on. And he said, I want you to get in the pulpit. And I want you to tell them how happy you are. Really? You, you, you want me to lie? Oh, I, I didn't say that, but I'm like, okay, all right. So I want you to tell them how happy you are, and then I want you to tell them, take them on your journey with the Holy Spirit. 
I'm okay. So I get in the pulpit, and I'm really tired, and I get up the pulpit. Hey, I'm so excited. It was all in Spanish, though. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Man, I'm so happy to be with you here this morning. No, I, I wasn't lying. I was calling those things that are not as though they were. So the more I spoke that, the more I spoke that. Remember Abraham, okay? The more I spoke that, all of a sudden that got infused into me, and I got into the message, and I start speaking on my journey with the Holy Spirit. And as I begin to tell this story, what I just shared with you about the presence, I don't know what you're feeling, but as I begin to tell that story just now, I can feel the presence of God just begin to come and settle on me. And as I shared that story, I begin to preach myself drunk. All right? Look, if you have a problem with that, let me just say this. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit's poured out and they are accused of being drunk. Some people say, well, that's because they were speaking other languages. Look, I've never, never heard a guy speaking in German and think, wow, he must really, really drank a lot. Oh, that guy speaking Japanese, man, he must have had too much to drink. No, it has nothing to do with language. Something else was good. Yes, they were speaking in tongues, but something else was going on that made people think they were drunk, okay? So I'm like, man, I'm intoxicated. And Spirit of God starts to fall in the room. Now, half the room is looking at me like, what in the heck is going on? This is so weird. But other people, woo, man, they were getting lit up, and it was beautiful. And it was really fun. It was fun watching people get touched by God. And uh, when you're that drunk, it's even amusing to watch people go, what in the heck? Even, even that look. So uh, just an honest confession. Anyways, so people are getting really touched. And, and people are, it's really fun. People are getting touched. And there's this gal on the front row. So I'm quote-unquote, praying for people. So really what it is, I'm just drunk, and I'm emanating the drunkenness. I'm just touching people. And I'm, I'm standing there by the front row, and I look at this gal who's like in her mid to late 20s, and I'm like, hey, can I pray for you? She's like, yeah, sure. I mean, she looked totally bored out of her mind. Like, she wanted nothing to do, there, do, do with this. So I said, okay. So I just kept my hand, and I didn't say anything. And after a few moments, she hunched up and fell on the floor, hunched up, like growling. And I thought, you know, God's doing something there, but I think that's the enemy. So it did not look good, okay? She's like, this was not a Holy Ghost manifestation. Now, the challenge is, is when people are like, well, was it God or was it the devil? Uh-huh. Because, because when the Spirit of God begins to move and those critters who have tormented people, the fire brings it up to the surface. So was it God or the devil? Uh-huh. Because it's, it is God. It's initiated by God, but he will take that demonic torment that's in their soul and pop it up to the surface. So now, quick context. Before I went there, I had just lost a lot of weight. And we went there with the idea that, okay, this is the assemblies of God, so we've got to wear suits and ties. So I bought a brand new suit for the first time in like forever, and this is my first day of wearing this brand new suit and tie for these meetings. And so this <laughs> hunched up lady is on the floor, and so I, I kneel down beside her to interview her, and so I want to find out what's going on, what's the root of this thing. And so I, I start asking her, I'm like, um, is there anybody that you need to forgive. I, and you could see a look of terror in her eyes, okay? 
there was a distinct look of incredible fear that was in her eyes. She's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't think so, I, I don't know. And she said, maybe the father of my little boy. I'm like, okay, led her through a prayer to, pr- to forgive the father of her little boy. But I could still see the torment in her eyes. And so I'm like, okay, is there, I can still see she's tormented. There's no peace there. She's still tormented. So I'm like, is there anybody else? No, I don't know. I can't think of anybody. So I just, it was not a word of knowledge. I just threw it out. So I'm, I'm leaning over. I'm like, what about your father? At which point, she grabs the lapel of my jacket and pulls me down into her face. She's got a kung fu grip on my new suit. And I, I mean, she yanks me down into her face and she ain't letting go. Now, suddenly, I'm thinking, okay. God, have mercy on her, but please, it's the first day I've worn my new suit. Have mercy on my suit. It's the first day I've ever worn it. It's about to be ripped to shreds. And the poor ushers, they're like, oh my gosh. He's trying to set her free, but we need to free him from her. So they rush over real quick to deliver me from the gal who needs deliverance. Not only is it funny, now even in the moment, I was just like, I was like, wow, God is so good. I didn't even care. I was like, wow, this is just amazing. This is fun. And eventually, she forgave her father. And you could just see this blanket of peace come over her. A few moments later, there was a gal in the back who started slithering like a snake up to the front. Usually not a good sign. Um... (laughs) And uh, with my keen revelatory sense, because I have the gift of discernment, I'm like, I think that's from the enemy. So I literally chased her down as she slithered up to the front, finally caught up to her, and there was some undealt with, unrepented of immorality that had been in her life that had gained a foothold. She repented of it, and boom, it was restored. She's free. There were like about three different, I think there was one other situation that was like that that morning. And this is what so intrigued me. I thought, I wanted to see deliverance. Not that I really, okay, it's a messy process. It's not like, I'm, like I like seeing that, but I like seeing people free, okay? And I wanted to see that for years and never saw it. Suddenly now, I find myself laughing on the floor, and now when I get up to minister, I feel the intoxicating presence of God, and the joy of the Lord begins to hit me, and I can feel the joy of the Lord hit the room, and as that happens, suddenly people are starting going through deliverance. Like, this makes no sense to me. Like, I thought I had to power up in faith to be this great man of God, to command demons to come up. Like, it's just, whew, Holy Spirit, I really love you. I'll even take all 180 gallons. <laughs> it says that the master of ceremonies turns to the bridegroom. Jesus is our bridegroom king. And he says, most people, they serve the best wine. And then when that runs out, they bring out the cheap wine but you've saved the best till now. Do 
Jesus wants to take us from glory to glory. And I just made a commitment in my heart that, God, I know the wine of your spirit can look controversial. And sometimes I can look like a fool. Of course, when I'm really drunk, I don't care. But, Lord, I, I don't care. I just want you in whatever form you come in. Even if it's way excessive, that we can look at different things God does and we say, is that really necessary? I don't know if it's necessary. I just know if God does it, I better be okay with it. Mm. Holy Spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit. Precious Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve you. We don't want to quench you. Precious Holy Spirit, we give you permission to do whatever you want. <laughs> Phew. 180 gallons from an excessive, abundant God. <laughs> Just yield to him right now. Precious, precious Holy Spirit. Oh, precious Holy Spirit. Mm. God. We want to take everything you have for us. Jesus, you paid a high price for the outpouring of your spirit. I don't want to reject one single gift. I don't seek manifestations, but I don't want to reject any manifestation that you want to give. Si periando robusi telemacare sotto tu roboreti, a salama antu ushatadidi, sapo coronda harreminka moti titi, co ta sintititiki. Ho 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 ho. Sara melina nanana nanini niki sondoro. He said, You save the best for now. Right now. <laughs> See, he was the God who was. He is the God who will be. He's the God I am, who is. I can't live off of yesterday's experience. Thank God for our past history with moves of God. But he saves the best for now. Thank God for everything that's prophesied for the future. But we're not living in yesterday and we're not living in tomorrow. He saved the best Wine for now. That means tonight, February 4th, 2022, here in Burlington, Iowa, he saved the best wine for now, right now. He wants to bust things open and he wants to insert an entire barrel. It's more, it's funner, it's, it's more fun than a barrel of monkeys, but he wants to stick a whole barrel of his new wine in your belly <sighs> that passes your understanding. Look, the pursuit is not a manifestation. The pursuit is him, and let him do whatever he wants. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly where you've been. He knows exactly what you need. <sighs> more. 
more, 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 more. Aramalinta, Arabalondo, Ropo, Aramalinka, Ramali, Sondoro, Marinka, Rakai, O Sondoro, Balabai. I just say for Jade, it's not a little drop will do her. It's not a dab will do you. He's going to put the whole barrel in your belly. He's going to put the whole barrel in your belly. Aramali, Sondoro, Malashanda, Ramerico, Onkoranti, Carabasa, Aramalinto, Roboco, Batila Macando Robo Shombo Aramalakai. I don't know why. Look, I love the fire of God. I love the fire of Pentecost. And when he comes to do that, I want to yield to him. But when he comes, when he comes with controversial wine, when he comes with what looks to me like excessive joy, I want to yield. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. <sighs> be filled with the Spirit. You can't live a Spirit-filled life if you don't receive the infilling of the Spirit. Oh, and let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, there is an inexhaustible supply. <laughs> and when the meeting's over, there's still an, an abundance that never runs dry. There's there oh basalamarento korama alamadika ranto koraba aramakai. Don't be drunk with wine. Boom! Be filled with the spirit.